Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. You know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Got another loaded show today, guys. Got some NFL news I want to talk about, including some trades. I have three other players I think could get traded before the deadline. My top three NFL rookies so far, three college football teams that could play the role of spoiler Guest Jacob Kamaker from the Sporting News is on to preview the three biggest NFL games in week eight and make betting picks for each one. I got more to get to, so let's crack a cold one and kick this off. Man, a lot of stuff going on in the NFL right now. A lot of movement. Trade deadline coming up. We've seen some moves already. The Eagles just traded for Bears defensive end Robert Quinn for a fourth round pick. This is an absolute steal. I can't believe the Eagles added a guy like this just for a fourth-round pick. One of the best win rates as far as pass rushing is concerned. This guy is still one of the better ones in the entire league, and he is a big-time piece to add to a team that right now is thinking Super Bowl. They're thinking, look, we're undefeated. The NFC looks really, really shaky. The path to the Super Bowl might be easier than ever for a team like them, and they're trying to load up to get it done this year. Got to give them a lot of credit. It's an aggressive move, but it's also a really good move considering they didn't give up much to get a guy like that. Another move we saw this week that happened after I recorded last week, so I didn't get a touch on it, Christian McCaffrey, running back for Carolina, gets traded to the 49ers. This was a big-time move as well. The 49ers got smoked by the Chiefs last week, but this is a team that I think could still make some noise. I just mentioned how the NFC is really shaky. I'm not ready to give up on the 49ers. Clearly, they're not ready to give up on the season either because they made this move to go get a guy who, when healthy, is one of the best running backs in the entire NFL. It is going to be a lot of fun to see what he can do in this Kyle Shanahan offense. Shanahan is so creative. The way he uses guys like Debo, he loves having these almost hybrid-like players. Christian McCaffrey isn't quite a full-blown hybrid player like Debo Samuel, but he's a very, very good pass catcher, a guy that you can use out in space and in routes. And with a creative play caller like Kyle Shanahan, I can't wait to see how they utilize him in the next couple weeks. Reports had actually come out that the Rams offered Cam Akers and four draft picks to try to acquire Christian McCaffrey. The Bills, Eagles, and Broncos all made calls inquiring about trying to get Christian McCaffrey, but the 49ers get it done. 
The Dallas Cowboys acquired Jonathan Hankins. Not a big, splashy move, but I think it's a really solid move. This is a really good run defender, and he's going to add some depth to that front seven for the Dallas Cowboys, a defense that's playing at a high level right now. So I like that move, a team that is definitely not out of the mix at all right now. The Jets made a move to acquire James Robinson, the running back from the Jaguars, after they lost Brees Hall, the rookie running back for the season. That is a devastating blow for a team that's really playing good ball right now. Brees Hall was having an awesome rookie year, and that's going to be a really tough player to replace. But I like this move by the Jets because James Robinson is a really, really solid running back. If you can get 70% of the production you were getting from Brees Hall and all you had to give up with a six-round pick, I think was absolutely outstanding. You can make a strong case that Brees Hall was the Jets' best player this season. And it's going to be tough to replace a guy like that. But I like this move because this is a team that's exceeded expectations so far. They lose a key player, but they're not willing to throw in the towel, and I like that. Now, that might have been the bigger headline, losing a guy like Brees Hall, but they also lose guard Elijah Vera Tucker for the season due to an injury as well. That's actually a bigger loss, in my opinion. Because as great as Brees Hall has been, Acquiring a guy like Robinson should replace a lot of that production. You are not going to be able to replace the production that you're getting from Elijah Vera Tucker. This is one of the best interior offensive linemen in the entire league. This guy is a stud. Not only did he excel at guard, but this year so far, he was able to play at three different offensive line positions when they needed him to. Incredibly versatile player who adds a ton of value, and that's going to be a major loss for them going forward. A while back on the podcast, I made an apology to Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy. And I said, look, myself and a lot of people in the media had dogged this guy. We buried the Cowboys after the Dak Prescott injury. And a lot of people have really been trashing this guy since he left Green Bay. I came on here and said, look, owe the guy apology because he has been coaching his butt off and he is really kept this team afloat even after losing Dak, and they're right in the mix in the NFC East and in the NFC in general. Now there's another coach that I think I owe an apology to, and that's Pete Carroll. This team has now won back-to-back games. They're 4-3, and three, and this is a team that I said thought I thought that they would finish with the first overall pick in April. I thought they were going to be a complete dumpster fire this year. They had huge question marks at quarterback with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. I'd been really critical of some of their recent drafts. I just didn't think this roster had enough talent to really compete this year at all. I thought it was going to come completely off the rails. Pete Carroll is showing, once again, why he's one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen. And Geno Smith is having the best year of his career. This is a guy who's been a career backup essentially for years now. He gets an opportunity to start for the Seahawks, and he is making the most of it. He's also making Russell Wilson look really bad. Now, we've talked about Russell Wilson a ton on this podcast because he's been terrible, and it's been a huge storyline this NFL season. But when Geno Smith comes in, a guy that nobody expected to do anything this year in Seattle, he comes in, and he's seventh in passing yards, first in completion percentage. That's right, first in the NFL in completion percentage, and only Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen have a higher passer rating right now than Geno Smith. 
while Russell Wilson and the Broncos have been a tire fire. And Russell Wilson has some of the worst numbers in the entire NFL. Look, that's rough and that's hard to swallow if you're a Broncos fan, but it's got to be even worse when you see what Geno is doing with Seattle right now. Because Geno Smith and Pete Carroll are making Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett look really bad. Speaking of looking really bad, the Green Bay Packers. Want to touch on them here for a second. The Packers not drafting wide receivers early. I think it's finally caught up to this team. I just can't believe how far this offense has dropped off. But I have to shift some of this blame to Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers simply does not trust these guys. And some of that is on him. Now, the injury to Christian Watson, the rookie they took this year, that definitely hurts, and I get that. But I saw a segment on NFL Live is on ESPN where they showed multiple plays in which Rodgers had guys open on several different plays. They froze it, the All-22 film, and they really showed a lot of examples in that Washington game where Rodgers had guys downfield, he had guys that were open. There were plays to be made, and he either didn't see them or he didn't trust it, and he just checked it down. Look, I know these guys are young. I know none of these guys are Devontae Adams. I get that. But at some point, Rodgers has to trust that these guys are going to make plays. You can't just abandon what you're doing here. What really bothers me here is that once again, when things get bad for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, He's quick to be critical of his teammates. He went on the Pat McAfee show recently and said his teammates are making too many mistakes and those who keep screwing up should be benched. The lack of leadership from Aaron Rodgers and accountability is really just getting old at this point. Stop putting all the blame on your teammates. Like I said a minute ago, there were a lot of plays to be made in that Washington game and a lot of it falls on him. It's not just your teammates. Because quite frankly, if the Packers are going to get better, if they're going to get back into this thing, Aaron Rodgers needs to be better. Speaking of quarterbacks who needed to be better, Matt Ryan is officially done. Benched. The Colts have decided to put Matt Ryan on the bench. He's getting benched for former six-round pick Sam Ellinger out of Texas. Matt Ryan this year has nine interceptions and 11 fumbles. Both are the most in the NFL. There's no way around it. This has been a total disaster in Indy. He was brought in to stabilize the quarterback position. It's been a total train wreck. This guy just looks like he's completely shot. Now, the O-line, to be fair to Matt Ryan, the O-line has not been very good. And that's a position group that in recent years has been one of the best in the league, but they've really taken a big step backwards. He's been under pressure just way too much. But apparently the Colts had seen enough. They're moving on. They're going to see what the young kid can do. And if you guys don't remember, Sam Ellinger was a quarterback that played at Texas a few years ago, an athletic quarterback. He was a high-level college quarterback at Texas. I really thought that he was just a fringe NFL player. I mean, granted, that's why he went in the sixth round. But the reports are coming out that say this guy's a great leader. He's been great at practice. And he's had a really nice preseason. Look, I understand why they want to give this guy a shot. I get it. Matt Ryan has been terrible. There's no way around it. And this team is going nowhere. They've been a huge disappointment. A team that I thought had the potential to be a dark horse in the AFC. It looks like they're not even going to sniff the playoffs at this point. But this move, in reality, 
is just a desperation move for head coach Frank Reich to try to save his job because I think he's gone at the end of the year. I think he knows it. That seat is red hot right now, and it's going to be really interesting to see if GM Chris Ballard survives as well because Chris Ballard gets a lot of credit for some of the draft picks he's made in the last few years because he has hit on some guys, no doubt about it. But he gave up a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. That turned out to be a dumpster fire. Then he said this year, Matt Ryan is no doubt going to be here for two years. He lasted two months. Things have really fallen apart in Indy. But with the trade deadline approaching, like I said earlier, we've seen some moves. There's a few other players I think we need to keep an eye on here that I think could be on the move as well. First is Jets wide receiver Denzel Mims requested a trade in the preseason because he's been really unhappy with his role in New York. If you guys remember, he was a second round pick in 2020, came out of Baylor. He's got pretty good size and speed, but he's been a healthy scratch for the first six games for the New York Jets. But here's the thing. Elijah Moore has also requested a trade as well. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if it's Zach Wilson or the coaching staff, but it's really odd to me that two wide receivers both want out of New York. That's a situation to keep an eye on. Another player that I think could get moved is Titans cornerback Caleb Farley. This is a first-round pick from last year. Came out of Virginia Tech. We talked about him when we did the draft breakdown stuff. A guy who is long, athletic. And if it wasn't for injuries, because he had a lot of injuries in college when he was coming out of the draft, this was a guy who was once viewed as a potential top 10 pick in the draft. That's how much talent this guy has. But the Titans just haven't been impressed with him. He's been out of the starting lineup. And I think he's a guy that because of his youth and because of the upside, there's definitely some trade potential here. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the move. The last guy I mentioned just a minute ago is Cam Akers, the running back for the Rams. Now, it's been reported that they've been shopping him. The Rams are trying to move Akers. Sean McVay said a fresh start with a new team when they asked about him. He's third on their depth chart, still a talented player, and... Because of that, I think he should find a team that's willing to trade for him as long as they can find a deal that works for the Rams. But I'd be surprised if he doesn't get moved before the deadline. I want to give you guys my top three NFL rookies so far. First on the list, Jaguars linebacker Devin Lloyd, a guy that I was really high on coming out of the draft. If you guys remember, I absolutely loved this kid's game out of Utah. He's already the Jaguars' best player period. That's how good this guy has been. He plays like a 10-year vet. I had him graded as a top 10 player in the draft. He looks like he's going to be an absolute steal taken late in the first round. A lot of teams right now are kicking themselves that they didn't take Devin Lloyd because this is a guy who reads and reacts at such a high level. His quickness reacting to the run or the pass is elite. He plays the run and pass at an extremely high level, 63 tackles already this year, two interceptions, and six pass breakups. Devin Lloyd has been an absolute stud for the Jaguars. My next top rookie is Texans running back Damian Pierce. 
This guy just continues to put up big-time numbers. He put up another big game last week versus the Raiders with 92 yards rushing and 25 yards receiving, a really complete player. He's averaging 4.8 yards per carry. That's a pretty awesome number when you're talking about a team that really doesn't have a lot of weapons. He has three touchdowns already, and he's on pace for over 1,400 yards rushing this year. That is a monster rookie season. If he gets anywhere near that number, man, what a year this guy is having right now. He looks like a guy who's also a huge steal. I mean, a really big steal, maybe the steal of the draft because they took this guy in the fourth round and he has been outstanding. And last but certainly not least, Jets cornerback Sauce Gardner. This guy just won AFC Defensive Player of the Week. That's how good he was. He only gave up 16 yards on four catches last week, and he was targeted 10 times in that game, and he had 10 tackles to go with it. He has been a lockdown player outside so far, and I don't like to use the word lockdown when talking about corners very often because I don't think very many of them are true lockdown guys, but he has looked like one so far his rookie year. He has not only lived up to the hype, I think he's actually surpassed the hype of where he was drafted. All three of these guys that I mentioned are playing at a Pro Bowl level. Year one, super impressed with my top three rookies. All right, let's keep the theme of three alive here. I've got three college football teams that I think could play the role of spoiler this season that we need to watch out for. I'm going to start in the Big 12. Iowa State. Now look, the Cyclones have lost four straight, but three of those losses were one score losses versus top 25 teams. So this team has really been competitive, even though their record might not show it. Now they have number nine, Oklahoma State, and number seven, TCU, still on the schedule. Circle those games because both of those teams are going to be in the mix, not only for the Big 12 title, but a college football playoff berth right now. Iowa State is a team that could definitely play spoiler. They play hard. They've got a great coach, and they're going to get up for those games. In the Big 10, Michigan State. Now, this week, they play rival Michigan, who's having another awesome year. They're fourth in the country right now. They're trying to get back to the college football playoff. It's been a tough season for Mel Tucker and the Michigan State Spartans, but they just beat Wisconsin. They've got a little momentum coming into this game now, and they're going to be fired up for this one. We know this is a big-time rivalry. These teams do not like each other. I expect a fired-up Spartans football team in this game. And the following week, they play number 17, Illinois, who's been one of the biggest surprises in college football this year. Illinois is 6-1, and one, and they're in first place in the Big Ten West. So Michigan State is another team that you need to circle here because they're going to have back-to-back shots to play spoiler in the Big Ten. And in the SEC, I think the team to watch out for is Kentucky. They're 5-2, and two, 19th ranked in the country, and they play number three, Tennessee, this week. Now, Tennessee, as we know, has everything to play for at 7-0 right now. They're thinking college football playoff, but this could be a trap game. They've got Georgia on the schedule the following week. If Tennessee, as good as they've been, if they get caught up looking ahead here, 
Watch out for the sneaky good Wildcats. This team is better than most people realize. Kentucky also is going to get a shot at number one Georgia late in the year. I'm not sure how they match up in that one, especially in the trenches, but you never know. So watch out for Kentucky. They're going to get two shots to play spoiler against two big-time ranked teams. All right, time to give out the college football Week 8 helmet sticker. It's going to go to Oregon quarterback Bo Nix. This was a career game for Bo Nix in a big-time game versus then undefeated number 9 UCLA. This was the game of the week. We previewed it last week. Big-time stage for this guy to show up and play his best football game of his college career. Nix went 22 for 28 with five touchdowns, no interceptions, hats off, to one of the best offensive lines in college football because Bo Nix sat in a clean pocket pretty much all day and just picked apart the Bruins for 283 yards. He had, I'd say, maybe one bad throw the entire day. He also rushed for 51 yards. That's something that Oregon has done a really nice job is utilizing his athletic ability and using him as more of a dual threat. He also had an absolute dime to wide receiver Troy Franklin on a 49-yard touchdown pass. I mean, this was an absolutely gorgeous throw, maybe the throw of the week in college football. Now, the NFL Week 7 game ball is going to go to rookie Kenneth Walker, the running back for the Seahawks. Man, Walker put the Seahawks offense on his back last week. 23 carries for 168 yards and two touchdowns. He also ripped off a 74-yarder. The Chargers just had no answers for this guy. The Chargers defense, man, they just continue to struggle, but Walker shredded that front seven with 7.3 yards per carry. He was absolutely unstoppable, and he's a guy that needs to be in the discussion for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Excited to be joined by Jacob Kamaker, who covers the NFL for the Sporting News and is the co-host of Walter Football NFL Picks Podcast. Jacob, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, no problem, Brad. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like I just said in your intro there, you cover the NFL for the Sporting News. You guys need to go check out his work there. Great stuff. But you also cover the games from a sports betting side of things as well with your podcast. Thought it'd be a lot of fun to preview three of the biggest NFL games in week eight, make some betting picks for each one as well. Let's start with a game that Jacob, if somebody told me before the season started was going to be one of the biggest games in week eight, I would have had a hard time believing it, but Giants-Seahawks in Seattle, this has become a big-time matchup this week. The Giants have been a big surprise team this year at 6-1. and one. They've won four straight, while the Seahawks have won three of their last four games, including an impressive win over the Chargers last week. What are some key matchups that we should be watching for in this game? Yeah, I think both of the running backs have favorable matchups in this one. That's going to be key for each of these offenses as they're both ground dominant here. Uh, Saquon Barkley going up against Seattle's run defense, which has ranked as one of the worst in the league throughout the season. 
that's going to allow the New York Giants offense to operate efficiently and effectively. One of the things that Daniel Jones has done this year is he's been able to run off of play fakes a lot more than you would think. He's got good mobility and he's just doing really well off play action. And that's allowed him to distribute the ball to his receivers, even though he doesn't really have a true number one or, hey, even maybe a number two receiver. So I think Saquon Barkley helps the Giants a lot in this one. But the Giants are also weaker against the run than the pass. So Kenneth Walker III has been playing very well of late. And I think that he's going to be able to run on the Giants a little bit too. I don't know if he's going to have his biggest game of the year. He's coming off 168-yard performance against the Chargers. But this seems like it's going to be a ground-dominant game. We're going to have some long possessions. I think a lot of possessions will end in scores. It's just a matter of which red zone offense can be the most efficient. Yeah, that's a great take, and I like what you said about the running backs here in this matchup. You're definitely right about the Giants and how their approach has really shifted this year with Saquon being healthy, looking a lot more like the Saquon Barkley we saw early in his career before he kind of got hit with some injuries there. He's really looked good. He looks like one of the best running backs in the league again. Kenneth Walker is definitely a rookie of the year candidate right now. He's been tremendous for Seattle and really established what Pete Carroll loves to do there, run the ball, setting up some play action game, taking some pressure off of Geno Smith. Their offense has been sneaky good this year. And I like what you said about Daniel Jones as well, because what they've done with Brian Dayball coming over in that offense, they've really been able to move the ball with setting up the pass with the run. A lot of nice play action stuff, rolling Daniel Jones out of the pocket, some RPO stuff, and getting Daniel Jones running off the edge as well. He's been a sneaky threat running the ball this year as well and setting up some long drives. What defense do you think plays the bigger role here? Because when I look at this, I think you're right. I think we're going to see some long kind of clock killing drives. Both these teams kind of have similar MOs in that standpoint. I think, like you said, it's going to come down to red zone efficiency. Who settles for field goals? Who punches it in? Is there a defense that you think has a bigger edge in that department? It's hard to say. These defenses have both been overachieving. Both of these teams are really overachieving if you look at their personnel. And that speaks to the great coaching of Pete Carroll and Brian Dable. They've both done an excellent job this year. I think if I had to choose a secondary to trust, I probably would trust the Giants just because they have a little more experience in the back end. Like, I love Tariq Woolen. I love Kobe Bryant. But they're both rookies. So if Brian Dable can scheme up some tough play action passes for Daniel Jones... I think they might just be a step slower to react. And remember, as good as Woolen has been as a rookie, he only converted to cornerback, I think, during his junior year at college or maybe sophomore year. So he's relatively inexperienced at the position. He and Bryant are inexperienced in general. And just with the way Daniel Jones has been distributing the ball on the move, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for that uh, Seattle defense. I think the Giants will have a little bit more of an advantage when Geno Smith has the ball. Just because as great as Geno Smith has been this year, he is prone to taking the occasional sack in a bad situation just if he doesn't see anything open. So I think the Giants just have a, a little bit better of time doing that this week. And hey, if their pass rushers get healthy, that'll help them out too because they've been without Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari and O'Shane Zimenez a lot this year. So if they get more of those guys back and can get some pressure on Geno Smith, I think they're going to have the advantage in this one ever so slightly. 
Yeah, the defensive line for the Giants at front seven is, is a little bit better than I think people realize, and you hit on it. Dexter Lawrence is another guy that's starting to play at a high level. He's been pushing the pocket. Kayvon Thibodeau's really been coming on these last couple of weeks, coming back from the injury. Like you said, he's starting to play some pretty good football. I think there could be an edge there for the Giants with that front, and I think it's really going to depend on who can stay in front of the stick, so to speak, who can stay out of those third and long situations, which offense can stay out of those situations the most. Because I think if the Giants can get Seahawks in more third and long situations, allow those pass rushers to play a big role in this game, I like that matchup, so to speak, in this game. The line I'm looking at in this game is Seattle is a slight favorite. I'm looking at them as a three-point favorite at home. We know the home field is always a good one in Seattle. Where are you leaning from a betting standpoint? And do you like an over-under in this game at all as well? I, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe an under here. I know the under has been hitting a lot this year, but like you touched on, these aren't two explosive offenses. This could be a short game, so to speak, with all the running. What, where are you leaning here on this one from a betting standpoint? I would definitely take the Giants in this game. You're getting the plus three. And the thing with a plus three is it means that if this game ends and either team wins by a field goal, which is the most likely result of any NFL game, historically speaking, from a scoring standpoint. So if either team wins by a field goal, you either win your bet with the Giants or you get a push if the Seahawks win by a field goal. So that just seems like the right side to me to be on the Giants here because it's probably going to be a close game. The Giants should have a chance to win. So I like them as underdogs. I agree with you. I think this is going to be an under-type game. Uh, the Giants have done a pretty good job of limiting their opponents in terms of scoring. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot, but they've won a lot of these games. They won last week 23-17. The week before it was 24-20. They won against the Packers 27-22. So they just don't allow a lot of points. And I think they, what happens is they let their opponents drive down the field at times. But then they get into field goal range and they're able to play really good defense in the red zone. So I think that Seattle's going to have tougher time scoring than they have this year. They've made some explosive plays, but DK Metcalf is banged up and this is going to be a tough matchup for Geno Smith. So I think we're going to probably see like a 24-21 type game or a 21-17 type game. I think it's going to be lower scoring, lots of long drives. So this is definitely going to be an interesting game, though. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I am, too. I think this is going to be a really fun one, and I think your analysis on this game was spot on. I, I'm with you here. I like the Giants getting the points. This feels a little bit like a coin toss type of game, so I think getting that three points, I like the value there. I like the points you said about that. I'm also thinking under as well because I really can't see this becoming a shootout. I can't really see this game turning into any type of a track meet. It's just not how these two teams are built, so I'd be, I would lean towards under as well, and I think the value is on the Giants with the points there as well. I want to move on to the next game here. These next two games I want to touch on here, Jacob, are both in prime time. The first one is Thursday night football. Ravens taking on the Buccaneers in Tampa. After a 2-0 start, the Bucs have lost four of their last five games. The offense is struggling right now to move the ball, especially on the ground, and they could have four starters out for this one as well. The Ravens have been literally up and down all season long, but they were able to squeeze by the Browns last week. They too could also be without some key players, including tight end Mark Andrews and defensive end Calais Campbell. The Ravens just feel like a team that should be better than their record after blowing multiple second half leads this year. 
What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, so if you've bet any amount of money on the Ravens this year, chances are you've been frustrated at least once because they've had so many of those games with double-digit leads, and they end up blowing it outright. It happened against the Dolphins when they were winning by three touchdowns late in the second half. Uh, Against the Bills, they were up to an early lead, then they couldn't move the ball. And then against the Giants, uh, Lamar Jackson threw two fourth-quarter interceptions or had some key turnovers, and that just ended up really sinking their ship in that one and letting the Giants back into it. So I like the Buccaneers here. It seems wrong to go with them given their loss against the Panthers last week where they just looked absolutely terrible. But this is more of a fade of the Baltimore offense than anything else. And the problem is, as you referenced, those injuries. Because if Mark Andrews is unable to play and Rashad Bateman is playing through a foot injury and we don't know if he's going to be 100% or if he'll play at all, Those are Lamar Jackson's two favorite receivers by a wide margin. Uh, After them on the depth chart, things thin out significantly. Isaiah likely was a preseason darling at the tight end position, but he hasn't done much as a rookie. So he'll replace Andrews if Andrews can't play. But if Bateman's out of the lineup, you're talking about Devin DuVernay, Demarcus Robinson, James Prochet, and Tillon Wallace being the main guys at receiver. And that's just put too much on Lamar Jackson to have to carry this team. He can do a certain amount of it with his legs, but uh, in the early stages of the season, he was legitimately shouldering the entire load in the running game, and now he has to do the same in the passing game, and he's just not quite built to do that. He's a very good quarterback, and he can throw the ball well, but you need some amount of weapons on, on the field out there. And I think for the Buccaneers, I know that they've not played well in recent weeks. I know they're a little banged up, but they still have Tom Brady, and they still have a bevy of talented receivers. Mike Evans put forth maybe one of the worst games I've seen him have as a pro against the Panthers when he dropped that long, wide-open touchdown on the first play of the game. They never seem to bounce back from that. I think that they're going to be ready for this one, but I thought they'd be ready for the Panthers too. So as much of a risk as it is, I think I like the Buccaneers to win here. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at Tampa Bay here too, and I'm seeing most books having them as a short-home favorite here. A one-point favorite is what I'm looking at right here. This one's tough because that line is telling me something because when I look at these two teams and how bad Tampa Bay has been recently, especially coming off of that embarrassing loss to the Panthers where they were a huge favorite, it almost feels like a lot of times after a big loss like that, a lot of sports bettors tend to have recency biased. And sometimes that'll be baked into these lines as we know. So I'm a little surprised that the Ravens aren't actually favored in this game. And that really tells me something because it, what it tells me is that Vegas knows something here. I think Tampa Bay is still favored for a reason here. I'm with you. The fact that it's a Thursday night game, a short week, and the Buccaneers are at home, which is another thing that we tend to see historically speaking on Thursday night, for whatever reason, the home team tends to have a big advantage there. Plus, this is going to be a desperate team now, knowing that they really can't afford to lose too many more games if they want to stay in this race. I expect this to be a bit of a bounce back game as well. I like your take here on on the Ravens and missing some key players. I think that really is going to limit what they can do offensively. I like what you said about Lamar Jackson, very high level player. But when you take away all those key weapons for him, it's going to be difficult going up against Tampa Bay, which look, their offense has struggled, but that defense is still playing at a pretty high level. So I think it's going to be really difficult for them to move the ball and and get long scoring drives against this Tampa Bay defense. I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to lean towards the Bucs. 
And I think once again, I'm kind of leaning towards the under again, just because I don't know what to expect from either one of these offenses. What do you think about that side? Yeah, I think the under is probably the right play. I generally like to side with the under on Thursday night football, just because these guys have had such little time to recover. And that means you're going to have some guys who are out of the games with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. So hypothetically, it should balance out the offense. But we've seen NFL teams without talented receivers or when they're missing key blockers, it really disrupts the offense more than the defense. So I, I would also side with the under here. And if you just look at this too, these two offensive lines are not playing particularly well because of injury. The Ravens historically have had a very good offensive line, but they've had trouble at left tackle this year because Ronnie Stanley hasn't been fully healthy. And then the Buccaneers have had trouble replacing Ali Marpet at left guard. Luke Gedeke is giving up a ton of pressure there. And Tom Brady hates interior pressure. So when you have those holes on the offensive line, it just makes it more likely that some drives are going to stall. So there'll be fewer points. So I definitely like the under in this spot. Anytime you can get two sputtering offenses with the under, you should probably take the under, even if the number is lower than you think. And by the way, one more thing. The, the line has moved to Tampa Bay being a slight favorite. But yesterday when I did my podcast with WalterFootball.com, we, we were talking about the Ravens being one and a half point favorites. So that's a big line shift over the course of a day. So I think you're right in saying Vegas knows something is up about this game. And I think they're going to be thinking that the Ravens are the more beat up side and it's going to hurt them a lot more than the Buccaneers. Yeah, that's a great point, and I hadn't caught that. So great great insight by you there. Line movement, as we know, is something you always have to watch for throughout the week. It can tell a sports better a lot about how the books are viewing a game. So that's, that's great insight, and I like what you said about Thursday night football being not a lot of time to recover physically for these guys. That's a great point, too, especially when you're talking about over-unders. And you also don't have as much time to game plan either, and that can really hinder an offense as well. So I want to move on to the last game here that I want to talk about. Sunday Night Football features two teams that were viewed as one of the favorites in their conferences to start the year, but these teams are headed in opposite directions. The Packers have lost three straight after starting the year three and one, while the Bills have won three straight and look every bit like a Super Bowl contender. Aaron Rodgers told the media after last week's loss to Washington, quote, this could be the best thing for us. When he was asked about playing the Bills, that is. Now, Buffalo is a big favorite in this one, Jacob. How can the Packers shock everyone and pull off an upset here? It's going to be really hard for them to do that. Um, I don't see it happening, but if they were able to do it, they would probably have to really get their running game going because their passing game has not played well in recent weeks. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Aaron Rodgers' thumb not being healthy. And the fact that David Bakhtiari, their left tackle, hasn't been able to stay healthy. And they've been trying to reshuffle the offensive line. But without him in there, it's just they got a rookie playing left tackle. And it's just a lot of trouble for them. So between that, Rodgers' thumb and his young, inexperienced receiver group, it's going to be hard for them to move the ball on this Bills defense. But I think if they can do it, it's going to have to be a real they're going to grind the clock out. They're going to run the ball. And their defense is going to step up. That would be what needs to happen. But I, I think they're going to have a really tough time with this Bills team. The, the Bills are just a really good matchup against the Packers. They have so many guys who can get pressure against that beat-up offensive line. And Aaron Rodgers usually is good about getting the ball out quickly, but 
since he doesn't trust his receivers and doesn't seem to trust his throwing hand with that thumb injury, man, he's going to have to make some big plays or just get the ball to the running backs really quickly if they want to consistently move the ball on offense. This Bills team, they just look like a buzzsaw right now. They look, like I said, they look every bit like the Super Bowl favorites, especially in the AFC. They look like one of the best teams in the league right now. They've lived up to the hype. The Packers, like I said, on the other hand, just haven't. This is a team that's really moving in the wrong direction, and you hit on it. The O-line is having issues. Rodgers, not only are the receivers not coming along like I thought they would, I kind of expected some bumps in the road early in the year, but week six, seven, eight was kind of when I expected this offense to maybe turn the corner and him to start building some chemistry with these receivers. It just hasn't happened yet. I don't know if that's a lack of trust. I think that's part of the issue. I think the protection up front is part of the issue, but I also think something you touched on here. Part of the issue has been them going away from the run game. I think that's something that they absolutely have to reestablish in Green Bay. This is a team that we know has some solid running backs, and I think that's going to be the recipe for them going forward. I'll be really interested to see if they shift gears, so to speak, and really start to try to run the ball in this game, try to shorten the game, try to keep Josh Allen and that offense on the sidelines and maybe open up the play-action game for Aaron Rodgers and make things a little easier to take some shots down the field in this one and try to keep this game close. I'm looking at Buffalo right now as an 11.5-point favorite. In the NFL, that's a huge number. Where where are you leaning bet-wise? It sounds like you like Buffalo to win the game, and, and rightfully so, but do you think there's a chance for the Packers to cover? I do think there's a chance, and I'll I'll preface this by saying I'm very much not in the mood to bet big spreads based off of how this year has gone to date. My podcast co-host, Walt, told me the other day, teams that I think that are favored by seven and a half more points this year are five and 11 against the spread. I believe that was the stat. So generally speaking, these games have been closer than we anticipate. With all of that said, though, I just think the Bills are such a poor matchup for the Packers' offense the Bills are a good, pretty good against the run, and they just get so much pressure in the passing game that I think Aaron Rodgers, if he were fully healthy, I'd like him at this number. But with that thumb injury and with that potential for pressure and the possibility that he might hit his hand on a helmet or something, I know you can't count on injuries, but you can count on pressure getting to him uh, behind this offensive line. So I'm scared enough of this one that I would probably back the Bills. But I will say that of the... Other games this week that are more than a touchdown and a half point spread, I'm more on the underdog. So I could see the case for betting Rodgers here because he's an all-time great quarterback and he's an 11-point underdog. He's not going to take kindly to that, but I do think there's a, a reason that they're this big of an underdog in this matchup. Yeah, I think I read some stat that said this was like the biggest underdog he's been at least in several years, maybe even in his career. I don't know if you caught that stat. It was pretty shocking to see him as this big of an underdog. I know the Bills are great and the the Packers don't look very good like we've touched on, but that is a shocking number. It's a shockingly large number. I don't feel great about it. I don't feel great about getting in front of this Bills train right now, but I think just from the the rules of NFL betting, it almost feels wrong not to take those points, thinking that maybe even a backdoor cover here could be in play I think I'd have to lean towards the points. It just feels like there's too much value there, especially, like I said, if they can somehow get that running game going, maybe shorten this game, it's going to be an uphill climb for sure. And I don't like them on the money line by any means, but I do think maybe there's some value with the points. But like you said, I don't feel great about it. That is for sure. 
What about an over under here? What do you what do you like there? I think I would probably lean the over in this one because Buffalo's offense just it, it's humming. Josh Allen is playing at such a high level. He's the clear cut MVP favorite. Patrick Mahomes isn't that far behind him, but with the way Allen has played for most of the season, I think he's the number one guy right now. So the Packers aren't going to be able to stop him consistently. So the Bills are going to get their points. It's just a matter of whether the Packers can score enough. And I think even if someone is listening to this and expects it to be a Bills blowout, at the end of the game, the Packers will get some points. So I think that if you look at it from that standpoint, this game feels like it should go over. And hey, maybe Aaron Rodgers is healthy in this one. Maybe his thumb looks better. Maybe he gets chemistry with Romeo Dubs and Sammy Watkins, and they're able to really connect on those downfield passes for the first time this year. I mean, I, I understand the logic of backing a, the Packers at the plus 11 number because there's no line value with the Bills in this one. But I, I think the over is definitely the right pick because it is a matchup of elite quarterbacks. Rodgers hasn't looked like one this year, but just look over his history and you'll remember he's back to back with uh, reigning MVP for a reason. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think I'm with you. I, I completely agree. I think I would lean over here too. Like you said, this Bills offense is just really rolling right now. And I like what you said about the Packers. Even if they do get beat by a couple touchdowns here or it ends up being a route, I still have a hard time thinking that they're not going to put up some points and get in the end zone a few times. So I'm with you big time on that one. I think the over is the play here as well. And and I think maybe the value is Packers. But like I said, don't feel great about it. But I do feel great having Jacob Kamaker on the show. It was awesome having you on here today. Once again, he covers the NFL for the Sporting News. And go check out his podcast because he's the host of the Walter Football NFL Picks podcast. Great stuff today, Jacob. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brad. It was a pleasure. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.